Well, good morning, Spring Valley Baptist, as we come and, and worship together live. I'm glad to hear some other people here in our, in our worship center as we worship together this morning over uh, the last uh, 11 weeks as we've been uh, filming the, the, the sermon. It's basically just been Alan Knight and myself doing that and nobody else in here. And that meant that I had a hard time, a difficult time. Uh, keeping track of the time on the sermon because normally when I got a congregation, I can look at your face and see how much more you can endure. So I'm looking forward for us to um, get back together in a couple of weeks and uh, continue to celebrate our worship time together. But it's nice to be able uh, to come to you live today. We're live streaming. That's something that we have added during this time. So some good things have taken place during this time that we have been displaced from the life of our church. So a couple of weeks and we'll be back together as you feel comfortable doing that. Today we begin a new unit in your life groups and the Bible Studies for Life series as we study the wonderful, wonderful book of 1 Peter. And that all focuses on the hope that we have through Jesus Christ that Peter gives to these churches that were scattered around what is now northern Turkey. And the interesting thing, the amazing thing, and it really shouldn't be amazing to me at this point in my life and my faith journey. But what, what is so God-driven in this is that these lessons were designed and written many, many months ago, long before the coronavirus, long before the racial tension that we're feeling today, long before other issues that, are, that have got our, our nation and world literally uh, in term, turmoil. But they, were so, they are so relevant. Uh, for what we're facing today, because this unit is entitled Living with Hope in a Broken World. And we do live in a broken world. And we need the hope that, that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us. Uh, one of the um, fellows that I follow on Twitter uh, asked a, a question this week. And I don't know how many, how many people responded to what they said, but his question was, what one word would you use to describe the year 2020? Well, so many things have happened already so far from the beginning of 2020 to right here, the first week in June. So many words that we could use. But the first word that came to my mind was a pandemic, because we're going through a, a worldwide virus, an epidemic that's become worldwide. And then we're going through a lot of chaos, and the word for that would be pandemonium. And it's interesting, if you look those up in the dictionary, they follow one after the other. You've got pandemic, and then you've got pandemonium. And my first thought was when I, when I read that, what one word will describe 2020, I immediately said pandemoniac. And I think I invented a word. I think I invented a new word. It's taken pandemonium and, and, and pandemic, and you just add an extra M in there, and you get pandemonium, which means a worldwide epidemic with chaos. So that's my word to describe uh, the year 2020 so far. Now, we all desperately need hope because we are in troubled times, and this is a broken world. And the writing of Peter, the Apostle Peter to these churches, he writes to them about the hope that they have in Jesus as they are going through times of, of severe persecution and opposition to them because they are living the Christian faith. And as we go through this study in the next six weeks, the sermon introducing the topic and then in your life groups, we're going to find that the hope that we need is guaranteed to us through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do we find hope that we can cling to in this broken world, 
But when we read through what Peter is writing to these churches and that we can claim today, we also find that we have reasons to rejoice in the hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today we'll be going to be talking about uh, rejoicing in the living hope uh, that is ours. And ours certainly is a living hope because it's hope that comes to us through Jesus Christ who has conquered death and the grave and sin and has been brought back to life by the power of God. There's so many places we find in the Bible where we're encouraged to rejoice. And we rejoice because of what God has done for us and what he means in our life. The Old Testament in Psalm 37, 4 commands us to delight ourselves in the Lord. Psalm 102 tells us to serve the Lord with gladness. And Deuteronomy 12, 18 says to rejoice before the Lord our God in all our undertakings. And Jesus commands us in Luke 6, 23, rejoice and leap for joy for your reward is great in heaven. And the Apostle Paul commands us, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in the beautiful letter of Philippians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. And then in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells us that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So that should be a part of our DNA as believers in Jesus Christ, that no matter what's going on around us, the troubleness we find in the world, the brokenness that we find, the problems that we're trying to address now, we have reason to rejoice. Christianity, our lifestyle, is a life of tremendous and abiding joy. The the reality of life and all of its harshness still remains. But we experience joy in our relationship with God through Jesus. I like the way that John Piper describes our life. He says that Christianity is a life of painful joy. Think about that. Our life is a life of painful joy. We we, We have pains and difficulties and chaos, but at the same time we have our joy in the Lord. And that hope sustains us. Now, these believers that Paul writes to, that, that were scattered across north, what's now northern Turkey, were being mistreated, persecuted, going through, as verse 6 says, grief in all kinds of trials. But Peter wrote to them to encourage them and to give them hope. And I hope to do the same thing as we look at our scripture today and then just simply walk through that scripture. We're going to look at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. This is what Peter writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice greatly, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, there we find in that last verse, verse 7, that Peter is saying that when we come to understand our hope, the living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then that enriches our faith and it will be proved genuine 
And then that will result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed in our life. Now, let's just run through these verses and look at five reasons that Paul gives, that Peter gives to us about our hope and how that allows us to rejoice in the Lord. First, God has given us a new birth. That gives us a lot of hope and that gives us a reason to rejoice. God has given us a new birth. He writes and he says, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. And that's how we come into the kingdom of God, is that we are born again. A lot of times we use that phrase, I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. And you're in, that's really redundant when you think about it. The only way you can become a Christian, the only way you can become a Christ follower and follow after Jesus is to be born again. That comes out of that conversation that Jesus had at night with Nicodemus. To say that you're a born again Christian is almost like saying wet water or a round circle. It's redundant. You are a Christian. You are a believer because you have been born again. And God offers us that wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to do so because of the resurrection of Christ in which he defeated death, sin, and the grave. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you literally have two birthdays. You have a physical birthday, that's when you were born into this world, and you have a spiritual birthday. That's when you were born into the kingdom of God. Now, how do you prove that? Well, with your physical birth, you say, I have a birth certificate. Well, you know, birth certificates can be forged. We say, I got my baby pictures. Well, they don't look a thing like you do today. We say, I even got my feet prints on my certificate. Well, your feet are a whole lot bigger than they were back then. The only real proof of our birth is that we're alive, we're living, we're functioning as human beings, and our life proves our birth. Now, how do you prove your spiritual birth? Well, you say, I got, I got my baptismal certificate. Well, you were baptized. That doesn't mean you're saved. Some people say, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm belong to the church. I'm a church member. That doesn't mean a whole lot either. We got thousands of people on church roles that we don't even know who they were, who they are, where they are. They haven't been saved any more than this pulpit's been saved. And it's been standing here a long time. They say things like, well, I went forward, all those cliches. I, I prayed a prayer. I walked the aisle. I shook the pastor's hand. Too many people have met the pastor and not the master. So how, how do we prove our spiritual life? The only real proof of that living hope in us through Christ is the life that we live to the glory of God. That's the life that we live right now. You might not remember the exact moment, the exact day, the time, whenever it was that you made that journey of faith when you crossed over from spiritual death into spiritual life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But whenever you made that decision, you came to be a follower of Christ. And the Bible says you're a new person. If any person is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away before all things have become new. See, God's Spirit in you brings about a change first to your heart that then affects every area and every aspect of your life. Now, here's a word to you. If you have not been born again, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then here are some things you need to do. You need to admit your need for a new birth. You need to admit that you're a sinner and you're lost and you can't save yourself. You need to admit your sin. That's confessing your sin and your need for forgiveness. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected from the dead by the power of God. And then you need to commit to following Jesus Christ as your Savior and leader of your life. 
And when you do that, you have reason to rejoice. Because as Peter said to these believers, you are born again to a living hope through Christ Jesus. Now, the second reason he gives us that we have to rejoice is because God has given us a living hope. Peter writes in verse 3 and he says, We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, we have something that the rest of the world doesn't have. We have a living hope. Not just hope, Peter says, but we have a living hope. And that makes a world of difference when we live in a broken world. Now, the biblical word for hope doesn't talk about a possibility like we use it. Well, I hope I get this job interview. I hope I get this job. I, I, I hope I pass this year and I get promoted. I hope that I'm going to get accepted to the college I want to go to. You know, we have all those kinds of things that we hope about. That we are hoping that somehow, maybe, just possibly, that hope might come true. The hope that the Bible uses is a certainty. Because it's based upon the promises of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is a living hope because it's based on the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive, having defeated sin, death, and the grave. And because of that, and our faith in him as our living Savior, then we have a living hope. We have a living hope. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have what this world so desperately needs, and that's that living hope. All around us, People are hurting. When you gather together for worship, you never know what the person seated on either side of you or seated in front of you or behind you might be going through. But people are living with a lot of brokenness in this world. And there are people who need that living hope. Some people have a hopeless job. Some people seemingly have a hopeless search during these days for a job. Some are facing what looks like maybe a hopeless health issue. And that list goes on and on and on. We need to proclaim the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And here is our message. Life is tough. Life can be difficult. But real hope, a living hope, is found in Jesus Christ. Somebody said, other men see only a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. That gives us a reason to rejoice. Because we have hope, a living hope through Christ. Third thing that Jesus, that Peter says that we have reason to rejoice is because God safeguards our inheritance in heaven. In verse 4, Peter says, We have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. The inheritance is not necessarily a right. An inheritance is a gift that's passed on. You don't earn an inheritance. Sometimes when children, so parents die and leave an inheritance, the children fight over it, and most inherited, most inherited money is gone in, in, in six months. I like the bumper sticker I see on the back of some RVs and campers and all that, that parents say, we're spending our children's inheritance. Well, God's not wasting your inheritance. God is protecting it. See, the hope that we have in this life is fulfilled in the next world. There is a heaven, and our hope extends until that time after we die. 
The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, If only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We look for safe places to keep our valuable possessions, don't we? You might have a safe deposit box at the bank. You might have a, a, a safe in your house for jewelry and other prized items and special documents that you need to keep and preserve. You might have a gun safe to protect your guns in your house. Some people are building houses with what's called safe rooms in them. As far as I know, the safest place on the face of earth to, to keep something and protect it is, is the Bullion Depository on Fort Knox, at Fort Knox where it houses $137 billion worth of gold. That's over 5,000 tons of that precious metal. And it's hidden behind a 22-ton door. And the combination to that door has been scattered to, to 10 different people on staff there. Nobody has the full code. Nobody can open it by him or herself. They have to put every little part of that code in the right sequence to get it open whenever it is open. And don't dare think you're going to ever crack that vault. Because, because you would have to get past armed guards, missile tanks, Apache helicopters, infrared surveillance, video cameras, and can't concrete reinforced granite. You're not going to get in there. What are some of the valuable things that have been stored in Fort Knox, the vault there, besides our gold? Well, at the height of World War II, Fort Knox had the privilege of housing some of the most precious documents in the world. The Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and the Gutenberg Bible. And it also housed the crown jewels of the English family and some of the National Reserve of other European countries. I would venture to say that's the safest place you can store something and keep something on planet Earth. But there's a far more valuable thing than any material possession that we have. And that's our eternal inheritance. That's our eternal life. And God is preserving that for us in heaven. He is safeguarding our inheritance. And Peter says it will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. You see, most everything that we buy, any product that we buy, food-wise especially, has an expiration date on it. You just simply look at that. And it's got a lifespan. We have a lifespan. We're living longer today, living longer because of a lot of health issues that have been addressed in modern science and technology and all of that. But eventually we got an expiration date. The Bible says that God knows when that is. He knows when that is. Then it says it never spoils. Now, when everything here has an expiration date on it, put a carton of milk in the refrigerator and go leave it alone for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever, it passes that expiration date, it's spoiled. You're not going to drink it. Same way with a lot of other products. But our inheritance in heaven never spoils. And it never fades away. Now, we talk about so many things that are permanent. Talk about super glue gives you a permanent hold. I, eventually it's going to give out. We talk about permanent markers. They aren't really permanent. Eventually you can scrub them away and they'll pass off. You know, I always wonder, why do, why do women get a hairdo that's called a permanent? They have to get another one every other month, don't they? It's not permanent. A lot of things we call permanent are not permanent. But our home in heaven is permanent. Because God is permanent. And you can rejoice... That you have a permanent home in heaven. 
Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And let me tell you joy about that. There's no inheritance tax. There's no probate court that can take it from you. You don't have to share it with anybody. It's yours. Everybody has that individually. And your title and your name have been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. That's a great reason to rejoice. God is safeguarding your inheritance in heaven. Now the fourth reason Peter gives us to rejoice is because we are shielded by God's power. In verse 5 he says that who through faith are shielded by God's power. The word used there for shielded is actually a a Greek word that's a military word used to describe soldiers who would gather around their camp to protect it from attack. God shields us by his protection. And that's what it means for us. We are saved by God's grace and we are kept by his power. The psalmist said in Psalm 3, You are a shield around me, O Lord, my glorious one, who lifts up my head. So here's what we have in hope in God through Jesus Christ that gives us reason to rejoice. Once God has placed you into his family through a new birth, no one or nothing can cause you to lose that relationship with him. In John 10, Jesus talked about that. He said, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's eternal security. And we rejoice in that. And then the fifth thing that Paul, Peter says is, it gives us reason to rejoice in this wonderful hope that we find in Christ is, that we rejoice because the trials of life are only temporary. We, we, we know that through the teaching of the Bible. But sometimes when we're going through them, they seem so hard. They're so heavy for us to bear. When we go through times of grief, whatever that grief might be. When we go through times of unemployment. When we go through times of family discord. When we go through times of uncertainties in our world. And we don't know whether it's safe to walk the street or go downtown or, or whatever takes place. But... We can rejoice because the trials of life are in reality only temporary. Peter says in verses 6 through 7, In this you greatly rejoice. If you've got your Bibles open, underline that phrase or circle it. Greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are literally being persecuted. Their life is being threatened because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, greatly rejoice that though for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I ask you to circle or underline that phrase, greatly rejoice, because that's a very unusual word in the Greek language for rejoice. It's not the usual word found. It's much stronger than that. It's the word that Mary used when she learned that she would give birth to Jesus. And she says, I will greatly rejoice in God, my Savior. 
is also the word for rejoice in the hallelujah course in Revelation 19.7, where we say, hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns, let us rejoice. And we say, greatly rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Now, this command to rejoice greatly does not call us to ignore pain or to deny the brokenness of the world that we're experiencing and the difficulties through which you might be living. But it does give you a reason to rejoice that you will get through it somehow because of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. See, you aren't rejoicing over misfortune, but you're rejoicing that in the midst of pain and suffering, God is good and His love for you is unfailing. That certainly is a reason to rejoice in our hope. The the half-brother of Jesus, James, wrote and said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Whenever trials and tribulations, troubles of any sort come our way, the natural reaction is to complain and gripe. The supernatural Christian faith reaction to that is to rejoice. And you might object and say, well, I don't feel like rejoicing. But a Christian life is not driven by your feelings. It's driven by faith. You don't have to feel. You don't have to feel like rejoicing until you experience that hope. And then you can rejoice. You don't have to feel something before you obey God and rejoice in Him. We think in our English language that the shortest verse in the Bible is found in John 11, where it tells us Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and says Jesus wept. Two short words. But actually, the shortest verse in the Bible is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, which says rejoice evermore, or rejoice always, and in the Greek it's only one word. So in one word, God's entire word commands us to rejoice, whether we feel like it or not. And the reason we can rejoice, despite our feelings, is because of the hope that we have in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. The Bible tells us that you fill me with joy in your presence. And that's why Peter begins this passage with exclamation of praise by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now try repeating that phrase with enthusiasm and see if it doesn't make a difference in the way you feel. So today we begin to unpackage this letter of 1 Peter. Real hope in a broken world. And it calls for us to rejoice in the hope that is ours. See, if you claim a new birth in Christ, if you are assured of this living hope through Jesus Christ, if you know you have an inheritance in heaven, if you know that you have a secure salvation and you know that the trials of this life are only temporary, then you have a reason to rejoice in the living hope through Jesus Christ. As we continue through 1 Peter, let's rejoice in the hope that is ours. Father, we thank you for the living hope you give us through the resurrection of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we begin our study through this intriguing letter of 1 Peter, let us see the hope 
written on every page that you give to us so that we might live in that hope and rejoice in that hope through Christ our Lord. And I pray, Father, that for anyone who's listening today who does not have that assurance of eternal life, doesn't have that assurance of being born again, doesn't have that assurance of, of, of a living hope, then I pray, Father, that he or she will come to you and in faith simply ask Christ to come into their life and, and be the leader of their life and the forgiver of their sins. Through Christ Jesus, our living Savior, I pray. Amen.